and welcome to the 11th episode of the Jesus Conversation Podcast. I am Brittany, and I am so glad you're tuning into this episode. If this is your first time joining us or you're joining us for another episode, I want to welcome you and pray these stories you're about to hear will grow you closer to Jesus and bring you encouragement. On today's episode, we will be discussing the chains that bind us, where I will be joined by a very special guest who I have had the pleasure of getting to know through our local church and small group. His family has been such a blessing to not only our church, but to our family as well. And I cannot wait for you to hear this amazing story from him and how God has been able to break off old chains and create pathways in the wilderness for the kingdom. From being a war vet to now a business owner to husband and father, I am so excited you are joining us today. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Mr. Sonny Fernandez. Sonny, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brittany. It's a blessing to be here. So, Sonny, we kind of met in a weird way. You have <laughs> to admit, it's been kind of a weird story, right? Yeah. Um, so I actually met Sonny through my husband. Um, so Sonny approached my husband and like told him this really cool thing, which I'm not going to spoil it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wait till we get to the end of the episode to kind of tie it all together. But um, we have an older... Sonny, that's in our church. Mm-hmm. You said he's an elder, is that right? He's one of the elders of the church, yeah. yeah. One of the head pastors. One of the head pastors, yeah. right. I think he does financing, too. Like That's sure. part of his job. But anyway, our kiddos love Big Sonny, and so um, he came home, and he's like, it's not Big Sonny, it's another Sonny. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I just really like him. Um, so anyway, we got to uh, be introduced to Sonny and his family through our church, and um, as you know, as Sonny tells you a little bit about his story later, you'll kind of see mm-hmm. how our story is intertwined. But um, so, Sonny, I'm so thankful you're here today. Thank you for coming in. Um, but for our listeners, I really want them to kind of like hear your backstory. You know, are you married? You know, where did you come from? Were you brought up in the church? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, so. I've been married for 12 years now uh, to my preschool sweetheart, uh, Miss Kaylee. Um, we grew up in Bakersfield, California together, um, not by choice, obviously. <laughs> and uh, I joined the Marine Corps in 2008, just after graduating high school, about six months after I graduated high school, I think. And, um, you know, she reconnected with me. Our families kept in touch. Uh, my grandparents on my mom's side owned a restaurant in Bakersfield, so... Her family being longtime customers there, they'd go in and keep tabs. You know, we were able to keep tabs on each other that way. Um, so went to preschool together, junior high, um, and then rival high schools through the restaurant. She keeps in touch. And then I think I'd been in the Marine Corps, like in the fleet, like at my first duty station for maybe six, nine months or something like that. And she reaches out, and I'm four hours away from home. We, we reconnect, um, you know, or I should say really just connect for the first time, you know, as, yeah. as adults. Um, and then uh, that was it. You know, we get married in a hurry, propose on a Saturday, married on a Monday, uh, like that next Monday. Oh, wow. And then um, I had orders to Japan, okay, Okinawa, wow. and they were going to be two-year unaccompanied orders. She gets... Uh, Added to my orders last second. I had good leadership at the time. So little Sonny, our oldest, he's 10 now, but he was born on Okinawa. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And then uh, Bella, our middle daughter, she'll be eight soon. She was born in North Carolina. Okay. That's where Diesel and I met. You guys maybe hear about Diesel later. My, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love Diesel. Uh, yeah. And then um, Noel was born in Oceanside, where we finished our time in the Marine Corps. 
And then we've got baby number four. I lose count. Kayla makes fun of me. <laughs> baby number four due in November. So And y'all yeah. decided not to know this the gender, right? Correct. We're gonna awesome. we're gonna be surprised on this one. We were surprised on the last one. Uh and then yeah. There you go. Yeah. So that's exciting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as a church upbringing, I grew up um, Roman Catholic, uh, okay. you know, and, um, you know, we went to mass pretty, you know, often, but um, I'd never really had like a personal relationship with God. You know, it wasn't until I was 16 that that really clicked when a friend just invited me, just said, hey, I'm going to give my testimony in my church tonight if you want to go. And it was literally eyesight of the high school we were standing at when he invited me. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was kind of hard to say no. And I knew that I, w- <laughs> I was kind of up to no good that night. Like, man, yeah. I'm probably going to go make some bad decisions with the wrong kids, you know. And yeah. uh, and so I went, and that was like the seed right there planted, that personal relationship with God. I kept going. I get saved there. And then when Kaylee and I reconnect, you know, as adults, um, I was going to a, a non-denominational Christian church at the time. Okay. And then uh, we just started going together, and then we get married. We found churches all over, you know, where, wherever we lived. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. But Very cool. So yeah. she was she was brought up in church then, too, I guess. She would say not— not really. Like, they grew up talking about God at the table, right? Okay. And that was something very passionate at our home, like that my dad would pray and things like that, and we would talk heavily about it. As far as fruit and, like, daily, like, walk, like, that's where the disconnect, I I would personally say. But for Kaylee, um, she would go when she was invited with friends, but her her family didn't really go to church. If they were invited for some event, they would probably go. They had no opposition to it. But it was more of like God as an idea. We're like American. We're Christian in the American sense. Yeah. I hate to say that, but that's... That's brutally honest. It's brutally honest in that, you know, that's a very common uh, thought. But anyway. No, I agree with you 100%. Okay. So... Now, you guys came, your last duty station was in California, is that right? Correct. Okay, so what brought you to Texas? We just prayed over a house we saw online, to be honest with you. I mean, we we knew because we'd lived all over either through temporary duty assignments or, you know, whatever the case may be. And through meeting people in the military that are from different places that are not, you know, Bakersfield, California. Right. <laughs> you know? um, y- you kind of figure out where you want to live, and so we had we had, had our eyes on a couple spots, and honestly, we looked at Weatherford, and it was a lot of prayer, but it was in a position of growth where it was like tons of faith, like, God, if there are dogs there, you'll show them to me, <laughs> and and if not, I'll do something else, because yeah. I, I can do more than I thought, you know, and that was a, we'll talk more about that a little bit, but that growth of, of where I was at that decision of to come here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely... Probably one of the hardest things as a Christian that we do is to lay everything out and say, Lord, these are my desires, but mm-hmm. you lead us down the path we need to go in order for this to maybe be fulfilled, but really just whatever you want, Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's exciting. Yeah. That's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Okay, Sunny. So I have a question. So you have this amazing story, and there are so many facets to it. That's why I love it so much because. Some of it comes from your past. Some of it's kind of currently what you're doing um, through our church and just, you know, in your family. Um, But I am really curious to know how it all started. So I don't I don't really want to waste a whole lot of time sure. leading into it. I'm just I'm ready to hear it. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's just get into the meat and potatoes of do it. it. Um, so let's see. Um, two years ago, 
November 2020, um, it's COVID, right? Peak of COVID. I'm stationed in Camp Pendleton. Um, you know, my military career, 12 years in the Marine Corps, eight of which I was a, a dog handler, dog trainer. I was blessed to be, you know, part of an elite uh, unit of dog handlers, um, something that was like experimental almost in nature. But on the outside, all the accolades, meritorious everything, you know, honor grad this, like, yeah, that was all there. And there were so many times I could tell you where like in, you know, the military where I overcame fears and and honestly shared the gospel with people leading them to Christ. There are tons of like moments of, of like God's glory and victory. And then there are times where I was not putting him first, right? right. So I told you at 16, I gave my life to Christ, but in, in a home where that wasn't necessarily, like I knew my, like my dad, I loved how he would pour out his life and in his heart to God, right? So I always saw that like genuine, like King David surrender, like, you yeah. know, so I always had that. And I think that's what the Lord had definitely blessed me with in like coming back to him. But all the accolades under the sun, right? I've got everything. And and I wasn't putting like, I wasn't putting God first, obviously. So in recognition for those things, like he's not always getting the attention, it's me, right? And then that opens the door for so many other things. But in short, and then those 12 years of military service, uh, you know, three deployments, I'd say one was kinetic, you know, one was busy. The others were, you know, a lot, just a lot of the typical run of the mill, like hurry up and wait, you know, yeah. a lot of training and stuff like that. But so I, I had experienced a lot of things, you know, I'd seen death, I'd seen destruction, right? All, all those things. And I knew I was ready for it, or you think you are as ready as you can be, right? Right. It's not doing those things, right? It's not taking lives that's an issue. It's when your your heart's filled with hate, mm -hmm. or then you start to compromise in every other aspect who you are. Your work then isn't pure, right? Like there's there were times where I knew where we were doing stuff in the military and we were protecting people we were doing, and then there's times where it just gets blurry and ugly. Yeah. And you you know, you're making the best, quickest, safest decision you can, you know, and when your your heart's full of hate, you know, it, it just, it doesn't end well. And later you end up dealing with that in, in some sort of way. Right. Right. So anyway, um, I'm letting those bad experiences, right, stuff that over time you start to do and see, whether it's taking human lives with uh, a hate-filled heart, um, seeing truckloads of, you know, wounded and killed um, coming towards you and you're you're eating when you can how you can what you can <laughs> what yeah. you have and like your stomach's not turning or whatever like yes you can be conditioned to it but you can only be so conditioned to the sin right right and then you have to do something with that so whether it's high op operational tempo and that's every day for law enforcement right and then coming home and having to slam on the brakes or then deal with your own chaos that was like a lot of the stuff that I wasn't setting aside. I wasn't addressing it. I wasn't communicating with my wife, right? And the whole time she's at home praying for me, you know, and, and I'm slipping away, you know, throughout like the last half of my military career. And so it all accumulates to me, you know, finally in November of 2020, I, my sin catches up to me and it's revealed that I, I'm not the husband that, that I, I said I was going to be, you know, I'm just... I'm broken. I need help. You know, I'm caught up in sin. And I'm like, 
what, like, what are you doing here? Yeah. You know, and you get to a point where nothing feels like sin. You know, it's, it, it's dangerous, you know? And so I'm caught up in adultery, um, you know, like work's not there. I'm not putting God first and, and like, Everything good about me is just falling apart, and you can't come back and then, you know, take it off at the end of the day and try to be the best dad. It's like you're trying to recover constantly. And so you get so far into sin that you feel like you can't come back or you don't, like, you don't want to be used, right? right? And so when the walls come crashing down, November 2020, I mean, the door slams and hits me on the way out, you know? I, I get pushed out with a pattern of misconduct. You know, and, and no matter what I had attempted to do, fix, fix myself, you know, get help, uh, asking for marriage enrichment, you know, retreats, you know, and anything that I can get, you know, for, for the in-home stuff, first and foremost, uh, you know, everything closed. And, and it, it was sad to see a lot of people, you know, turn their backs, you know, and I felt that I deserved it. I was like, believe me, I looked that dude in the, in the mirror every day and nobody's going to tell me um you know anything that's going to make me feel worse if that makes sense like there's no criticism yeah know. then i already know yeah. so anyway i crash land out of the marine corps uh in november 2020 uh no one will hire me so my my paperwork I, I got out with a general under honorable discharge so i still kept my va benefits but um like i can't be a first responder i can't like my Basically, my military service and all the like high speed stuff I did, it's all it's all void. Like you know, so it doesn't matter what you know what you have. I can't go be a whatever local law enforcement or. So anyway, that was that was tough, right? And one of the biggest realities that I had to face was my kids needed to eat. Pay stopped. We burned into our savings. We burned through it. We had legal fees trying to get. Uh, trying to get my upgrade, uh, my, 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 excuse me, we were burning through um, finances for like legal fees to try to get my discharge upgraded. Yeah. And I think we spent like 10 grand on that, Dang. you know, and that's like, I was still trying to get welfare. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and that, that burden alone, that decision alone can bring like a, a shame on you. Like, oh, here I am. Like, you know, I've been on welfare since, you know, since I was three, you know, and, or whatever the case is, you know, um, and you feel like you're backsliding. But I knew a couple things that I wasn't going to quit as much as that thought crept in. Right. Right. Um, but I and I was going to feed my kids, you know, and they weren't going to go hungry. I might. But, I, you know, they weren't. And so I finally get to this point where I say, God, you have to be in charge because I keep messing everything up. Right. So. I got, a, I got a praying wife at home that won't give up on me, right? <laughs> and paperwork that uh, basically says no one will hire me for the military experience that I have and in a way that I can use it back in society. So I have to start from scratch in terms of how I'm going to feed my wife and kids. And as I, as I kept praying... Um, yeah, how God works, right? This job opportunity presents itself and the advertisement is extreme working conditions, like extreme weather, uh, altitude, full PPE construction labor, starting out at almost 60 bucks an hour, 
right? And good thing is we know the owners of the company, like family connections. And so I reach out and I get this job and I'm, I mean, I'm hustling. I got, I need wrist surgeries from dog bites. You know, I got just health concerns that aren't, you know, aren't addressed. They weren't addressed in the military, let alone now out, right? I don't even have VA benefits coming in. Okay. So I have nothing, you know, and we're just burning, you know, through savings. And, uh, I just start working, start grinding. Like the kids are eating good. I'm like bologna and cheese, rice and beans every day at, at work, you know, and, Things started looking up real quick, right? We we save up. I, I worked this construction job uh, basically for like six months. And we stayed in California for about a year. But that six months of work in that job, I was able to save up. And as we prayed and got plugged back into some home churches that we were familiar with, um, just that support network started to build up again, right? And getting our feet underneath us felt great. And my wife is now looking for places to live, and she looks at Weatherford, and she says, what do you think about this place? It's called Millsap. (laughs) And then you look at it, and you're like, I I said, as long as I can come, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, you know, we'll we'll go. We'll do this. And so we looked at Weatherford, and we saw, like, there looks like people have dogs there. Like, it looks, I see some suburbs. I got an H-E-B. You know, you know, there's people who need dogs. When there's (laughs) H-E-B. Yeah, I guess. It was a good indicator. You know, you go out on a on a limb and so um we we made the move and doing the paperwork right we bought it sight unseen um just that god timing where we we close on the property and then i mean not but a week or two later the rates go up and and now we're in a totally different price range we wouldn't have got that house and and could we have ended up somewhere else yes god would have provided that too but just how that those little confirmations, you know, and yeah. when you trust him in the little things like that and that timing and you say, all right, I'm acknowledging that that's you. That's not, that's not me being diligent with the time. It's me saying, I'm in your word. I'm focused. I'm looking for what you're trying to show me. Okay, this is the house. We're closing on it. You know what I mean? So yeah. anyway, that timing works out. Uh, we don't even move here with anything. Like we showed up with a car full, two cars full of stuff, Right. Our household goods was still on like a tractor trailer, and so we Amazoned a mattress. Brittany, we didn't need anything, right? Yeah. Like, we, that was like a year, you know, like to where we were saying a year ago we were homeless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now we've got an acre of land, you know, and it's like that was bigger than anything I grew up on, you know, and and so anyway, it just. It could only point to him. But God. Yeah. Yeah. But God. Yeah. And so, and you, you can think back to a lot of stuff. You can think back to like giving up, you know, it's like, what a stupid decision. And, you know, and I, one thing I teach, you know, kids is that um, the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? He's the way to what? Well, he's the only way to heaven, right? No one comes to the Father except through the Son. Well, if he's the way to heaven, you, you know, flip flip it on its side, well, what is the enemy then? You know, he's the opposite, right? So if he's the way, he's the opposite way. You know, so he's the way to hell, he's the opposite way to heaven. Uh, Jesus is the truth, makes the enemy the liar, right? And if Jesus is the life, eternal life, the enemy will get you to do anything, right? right. To put to put that con- disconnection in there and, and to, you know, basically end that time here on earth that's temporary, giving you the chance 
at eternal life. Yeah. You know, so we, we got to see that. And it's like, if you give up, like you don't have, you don't have that, Yeah. you know, but God's already in victory. You know, here I am in November of 2020, like figuring out what I'm doing, not realizing that w- what he's going to do a year later, you know, and we took like two months off when we got here and just, it was like a decompression, like, because we went straight to grinding and putting food on the table. We had a lot of stuff we had to address, you know? And so that's kind of that, like, we we didn't even start the business. It was a lot of trial and error. And then um, just focusing again on the home. We needed time to focus internal on the home. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. I truly do. So just just so listeners know, so when you were in the military, you worked with dogs. You were the dog handler. Yeah. What did you do with dogs in the military? And then you have a dog now from that time frame, right? Yes. So uh, I was a part of uh, Marine Corps Special Operations Command uh, dog program, and it's a multi-purpose canine program. And the dog that I have is Diesel. He's my retired war dog. He and I were paired together for seven years, and Diesel's disciplines were attack tracking and explosive detection and each one of those things he would you know do in you know in a, in a number of ways um but we traveled the world um and helped develop dog programs where you know maybe other countries needed them that we were partnered with or looking for bombs out in front of you know good guys and and so um i got to travel the world with diesel on three different occasions and you know um he was blessed to come home uh, after his seven years, and I stayed in for that, you know, that last year that took me to 12. That's awesome. Yeah. And now you have a business that's kind of revolving around dogs. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, my, I have to say that Kaylee is the real owner, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't take credit for it. I think all the paperwork is in her name. So <laughs> if you get a business card with my name on it, I'm sorry. It's really Kaylee that's the boss, but she's the introvert. So. Um, she lets me deal with the people and the dogs, and then she's the mastermind behind scheduling. And and what is it? Do you teach dogs obedience or? Yeah, so we uh, specialize in tra- training household companions, right? Just household dogs, pets. For, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't train service dogs. We've helped, you know, family members, and that's because that's a long process. But we just help people um, open up new possibilities for their life with their dog. Um, and we specialize in custom training. So the whole family's on board. Kaylee and the kids, uh, the two oldest are great dog trainers. Noelle, she's three. She's coming along. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, we homeschool the kids. So it's our dream job coming from, you know, two years ago. Um, you know, it was like deployment life, working away from home, different construction jobs and, you know, things like that bounce around all over the place. I was working with guys in construction that while I was doing 12 years in the Marine Corps, they were doing 15 years in prison. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they were, and they got saved. I worked with dudes that got saved in prison, and they weren't drinking on the construction site. And and I'd gotten to a point where, honestly, like, I, I did. And I, I know that, like, when, when I got out, there was a lot of changes. Like, I didn't—I mean, it was a lot of internal stuff. I didn't do— anything, but I, I wasn't drinking. Uh, and then that kind of came back in, you know, which wasn't healthy because drinking, while it wasn't um, a problem for me, like when I quit, 
it was growth that led to that. And I look back like, man, why was it such a an issue even in what I thought was moderation, right? So anyway, yeah. I was inspired, worked with guys from all over the place um, that, that would minister to me and with me. Um, it would lead to huge change that, that the Lord would work in our lives. And now we're working our homeschool, dog training job, you know, dream job. And that's, I mean, that's how it is. We're we're small scale, so if if you if you book with us and we're booked out for the year, it's because we're small scale and we got a baby on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And what's the name of this company? The name of the company is Social Companion Canine. Social Companion yeah. Canine, and they can find you on Facebook and and Instagram, Instagram, and all yeah. the things. Okay, yeah. well, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, thank you. So, so Sunny, I know that you know you've you've came from California, and like, man, isn't God good? I yes. mean, I just like sitting here reveling and everything you've said that he's done for you. And, and people think like, dang, a year is a long time, but in the retrospect of someone's life, it is so small. Yeah. And how much he can do in mm-hmm. such a short amount of time. And to think about if you had tried to do that in your own your own works, how much longer it could have taken. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> and so now I know that you have, I mean, I've only known you a very short amount of time, but I could tell, and this is just, me being very blunt and honest with you, I could tell God was doing great things with your family. Thank and I you. could tell it through you too. Sometimes yeah. you just get those feelings, you know, like God's like, this is one of mine. Like yeah. that one's mine. Thank you. And so can you tell us a little bit about um, like Austin Cooper, our missions outreach pastor. Yeah. You know, I know that you guys are really close. Um, one thing about Sonny and his family is we do a small group together on Tuesday nights. And so mm-hmm. I've gotten to know them and their family um, a little bit more that way. But tell me kind of that relationship, some cool things you've done in the church since yeah. you've been here. Yeah. All right. Cool. So um, I, I asked God, you know, um, to be in charge of my life, right? Hey, I keep messing this thing up. And I start one of the things I started thinking about that God's got right in front of my face is like, okay, I know I can't go back and undo the sin I've done, right? Like we we wish we could turn back the you know the hands of time, but what I find myself asking is like, will you give me a chance to to have like to do that right? You know, what something in that in that area, and a, a lot of areas were more sensitive than others, so it was just like. All defenses were up, but I was kind of ready, like, to get back on the battlefield. You know what I mean? Spiritual battlefield. So I'm asking him to to guide me and equip me. And so I'm getting ready for church one day, and I'm I'm literally thinking about, like, well, I know I can serve. Like, I, I applied for contracting jobs overseas, and the response I got was, awesome resume, can't take you because of, you know, the designator on your paperwork for discharge. And it's like, oh. man, right? So, um lost my train of thought there for a second. So, um, You went to church. Oh, I'm thinking about overseas opportunities to serve. And even after I got out, I was trying to work overseas, couldn't get it. And I thought, God, will you give me a chance to serve you, like overseas? And I went in, in terms of a war, right? A physical, fleshly war, a, a war of flesh and blood. Right. Um, but then you're thinking, will you send me for something else? <laughs> So, and, and I'm not kidding, this is like Saturday or Sunday, and it was either that next day or that day I go to church, and before I walk in, I grab my bulletin, I walk in, and Austin Cooper, the outreach pastor, he's, uh, he like stops me, he's like, hey, Sonny, real quick, um, how do you feel about going overseas again? And I'm like, you did not just ask me that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, God, did he just ask me that? 
And uh, I said yes, and he's like, "Hold on, you have to. You don't have to answer now." I was like, "No, that's this is a God thing, man." And uh, I was like, "I don't care where we're going." And he's like, "Well, whatever, India." And um, man, how was that to hear you're going to India? Yeah, it was. It was pretty intense. You know, you start thinking about neighboring countries. You just start thinking about stuff you know, right? Yeah. And so. The enemy tries to creep in, like, through stuff like that. But I go to India, and Cooper has me, like, teach. He's like, hey, I want you to teach a lesson. I'm like, dude, I'm just a broken sinner that's here, like, trying to serve. And one of the, you know, one of the principles at Greenwood is everyone serves. Everyone serves. Yeah, and so that was something that stuck out to me because you have somebody here who was called unsalvageable. I was told that, you know— I could no longer serve. You weren't worthy of yeah. serving the way yeah. you thought. And you're, and you're like, I want to serve, you know? And it's like, you want to become first in my kingdom? You got to be the least among my people. So you talk about a humbling experience, working with dudes from the prison yard that would teach me things that would put food on the table, right? And and humble me, someone that was in federal law enforcement working you know, with dudes with two, two strikes, you know? And then God using that to take to India... And all I did was tell my story. But one of the nights Cooper had me teaching, I'm prepping my my notes and everything. And I'm like, I'm going to share part of my testimony with this verse. Talk about, you know, like a male's perspective of the struggle. Thinking there's going to be a man, a lot of men in this church. Brittany, I get there. It's all women. <laughs> oh, no. It's like, it's like the, the worship team and the pastors that introduce us that w- took us there. Or men and everyone else. It's like young little girls, teenagers, but and moms, and it was it was beautiful. That's awesome. And, though. But it was funny. So we left the house and we're praying with the pastor, and he's like, he prays, you know, God, you've already spoken this sermon. You know, it's your words, not ours, right? And whatever we prepared, you have something else, right? Right. Always. He <laughs> says that, and I get there, and I'm like, oh no! Not only am I nervous, like this, there's a lot of new stuff. You know, this is within like. I don't know, within a year of me being in Texas, there's a lot of changes, right? Right. Now I'm going to India. And so I just calmly, like, I had to pray real quick before I started speaking. I was like, God, you have to speak through me because this doesn't sound right. And I'm not kidding. Like, it went from my notes looking like a foreign language to, like, just, just talk to them about the power of a praying wife. Oh. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not kidding. And so I... I took the I took the notes I had and I just said like, hey, you can't give up, like you know. And so, um, I then give like a similar sermon and my testimony like a couple days from then at like this big festival, and I have like hundreds of men that walk up and ask if I'll pray over them and their families, you know. And, uh, you know, we talk about generational sin, you know, I I, I remember hearing my dad say, you know, when I was a kid, um, you know, I'm, I'm a drunk, hard mule for lack, lack of better words, right? Because that's how my dad was. And that's how his dad before him. And, and you're going to be tough like that too. And I get what he was trying to say, right? You know, and it's like, yeah, my dad was a tough dude. He is a tough dude. And he raised us to be tough. He loved us. He was never ashamed to kiss us in public to this day. And I love it. Right, it's real love, real affection. Yes, yeah, unashamed, right, unapologetic. Yeah. And so, but with those words, you can kind of you can curse the next generation, right? Because yes. that's not what God has planned for me, right? And so, you kind of think this is how I might end up. This is kind of how I'm conditioned to end up. And so, it was then that I really learned, you know, when 
the Bible talks about him being a chain breaker, right? And it was that generational stuff. So going to India, giving my testimony, um, I quit drinking before India. And I, so I kind of skipped over uh, something, but Pastor Brian Bond was preaching, and it, this was the third time within like a year or whatever that I had heard someone at the church say this, and it was, whatever they see you do in moderation, they will do in excess. Right. And I was like, dang, that hit hard. And it was whoever's listening to you, your children, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you're, if you're in a leadership role, like, you know, and then uh, now that I'm volunteering in Sunday school, it is more convicting. So anyway, you just start thinking. And so I made that decision to go home that day, and it was February 2nd. I, I lost track of the count. It's like 180-something days or 190 days of, you know, sobriety. Um, but we went home, and we gathered up what little alcohol we had. And um, like I said, while I can honestly say that there were times in my past where drinking, like, wow, that was out of control. Like tonight or right now, whatever it was, that was bad. When I quit, it wasn't the case. I It, it was a very, like, matured thing because we moved here. I felt like I was falling back into, like, public drinking or, like, oh, somebody offers it to you. It's hospitable to receive it, but not if their heart and their intentions weren't there, right? And, and you have to feel that out, and that's hard to yeah. cut ties with people. But basically, I just felt by staying in the Word— uh, I felt convicted in publicly drinking, so I stopped publicly drinking, and then I got to the point where I was just kind of winding down at the end of the night. Well, the kids would actually see me. It was like I would just drink at home. So right. I no longer publicly, then I would just drink at home, and it was in moderation, right? Right. Um, and then it was just a little more growth and conviction where I felt like God telling me, like, what are you holding on to? Like, I want to show you something, but you got to give me this. Right. And so when I did that, that was like that, you know, I, I sat in that sermon, I heard whatever they see you do in moderation, they will do in excess. We go home and it was an easy decision. It felt easy that day, but that's growth. It, was, it wasn't always easy. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? It was not always easy, but along the way, there were people like you guys that, that sharpened me and said, just through boldness, throwing out a Facebook post and saying, hey, look, it's been this many days since I've drank. And little did you know that, God was working in my heart, you know, or guys at the men's retreat that I didn't want to go to. I thought, man, that's, I don't know. You always think about these little like, well, that could be family time. You can try to justify it how you want. You show up and God will use that. And there were guys that just made themselves bold. And it led to that point where we get, I get home from church, gather up the family. There was like a couple loose beer bottles, half bottle of wine, whatever. And we just talked to the kids about generational sin. Like, we're doing what we saw, you know, which parent is the least drunk that's going to drive home, you know, or seeing, you know, drug use and, and tons of alcohol abuse, you know, adults passed out around a house full of kids, yeah. you know, and then like they wake up the next day and it's like, I, it just, you saw a lot of that, and then we thought, well, did our kids see it? Being in the military, being a part of a warrior culture that says we're having a go away, going away party or a welcome home. And I was blessed to have people in leadership roles that would show me what, what mattered most, and, um, and they, they were guys with the rep that nobody could compete with that would say, hey, go home, be with your family. You know, and that would speak volumes even after 
you know, after they passed, yeah. you know? And so anyway, that's, um, it was a lot of conviction, a lot of growth, but it led to us pouring out all the alcohol in the house and telling the kids like, Hey, like we love you more. Kaylee had already quit drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was really cool. She'd quit like a couple months before and I didn't even know. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so just that kind of refreshed the idea of like, we need to make sure we're communicating because it was a good growth, but those are times where if you're communicating with your spouse, it can happen sooner. You don't have to struggle as much through it. That's how it should be. Right. So anyway, it was, it was one of the hardest things for me to do was talk to my wife, yeah. you know, because I thought like, man, she already knows, you know, like the bad parts about me and like, I don't want to mess up anything else or I don't want her to see this as a weakness, you know, and it's yeah. like, hey, help me out with it, you know? Exactly. And so whether it's her running interference or just having your back and like we're not buying it whatever the case is but it, it became an easy situation i take it to india had no idea it would even have an impact right i thought i was just watching cooper's back in india <laughs> you know like if, if something happens i'm gonna make sure he makes it home but it was more than that god was like i can use that and you taught on alcoholism in india yeah. oh okay yeah I, I gave my testimony and i told him how i crash landed out of the military you know i all I, the things. Yeah. I, hey, I, I fought all over the world and deployed in the military, you know. Um, Have you heard anything back from that? Have you? Oh, I, the pastors out there, they hit me up all the time. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, um, you know, one of the coolest stories, if I can, that I um, heard out there in India, I got to meet a man, right? And they told me a story of a pastor who showed up. His wife had been attending church, excuse me, a man um, who showed up. To find his wife who'd been attending church at, at this festival, right? Yeah. And he's drunk and he's showing up to beat this woman, to beat his wife and drag her out of there. And, and publicly there, it's going to be more of like a, if you don't know them, you're not intervening. It's gotcha. just cultural, right? Cultural, right, yeah. <clears throat> so he shows up, he shows up during altar call, gets saved. He's a pastor there, dude. Oh, man. He's a pastor there now. You know what I mean? So. Oh, he's a pastor there he's now. A pastor. Oh, I was no, thinking then. So, and I no, was like, no. no. No, he was so he was showing up in his drunken brokenness to um yeah, I, I gave that part away, but it, <laughs> to to drag his wife out of there oh, because man. she had given her life to Christ and was there sitting in the sermon, but during altar call, you know, he hears the message and he's like all right, I'm coming. That's awesome. And yeah, and he's a pastor there now. That's amazing. Yeah, and he teaches about like three, they teach like three to five churches a piece. Wow. Yeah. That's so a each, lot. Each pastor, and they'll jump on a moped and go, I mean, go all day so that people can hear the gospels. It's amazing out there. It was, while I was standing on the roofs that look a lot like you see in the Middle East, um, I couldn't help but picture – I have, like, pictures of deployments where just the city's on fire, right? Like, airstrikes, you know, houses blowing up, vehicles blowing up. And it's like being on that roof in India, you can see – like, you picture the spiritual warfare. Yeah. You know, and it's like that, but it's – you hear – the Hindu um, calls to worship, Muslim calls to worship, and just the idols everywhere. Uh, not so much the call to worship for Hinduism, but the the idols are you know are everywhere. The different gods and stuff, and so you know it's a place where these people are in the trenches with their faith. And so for God to use what I thought no one wanted to hear, un, an unsalvable, unsalvageable <laughs> message, right? No one wants to hear from 
you know, uh, a little brown war bum. <laughs> and, you know, God says, hey, I'm going to send you there and, and tell them. And, and it, it's been great. And I, I think I'll go again. Uh, Austin's already setting that up. But, Man. Um, yeah, it just, I don't know, to give my testimony there. And it was, it was just confirmation that God's trying to use that. You know what I mean? That is amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. So I guess the cat is out of the bag on how our stories have intertwined at this point. Okay. Um, I mean, we, just to kind of bring us into that, I guess. So yeah, me and Garrison have quit drinking. That's my husband. Yeah. Um, I didn't know it was in February that you guys quit. We also quit in February. All we right. quit February 8th. And okay. um, on February 8th of 2024, we will be five years sober. That's awesome. So Congratulations. We're, we'll be almost there, yeah. Praise God. So that's awesome. But um, yeah, I mean, it was. I was kind of like you in that sense. Um, we had heard Pastor Brian talk about it a lot. And we, I mean, we've probably heard the message two or three times and still just kind of in one ear and out the other, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I was like you. Like, I grew up around it. And so going back to like that generational curse thing, that's been really heavy on my heart this year mm-hmm. about just like going back through my own life and trying to break off those chains that I've been bound to for a long time, even in my menta- mental thinking of how I'm supposed to handle things. Um, it's just not easy. It's not easy to do. And so um, like for my household, um, we were allowed to drink if we did it in the household. It was because, you know, and I think, you know, as a parent, they – you know, our parents try our, their best, just like we try our best. Um, and I think in their minds, it was kind of a protection thing. Like, if you do it here and you're not drink, drinking and driving, it's fine. Um, but I think for generations past, it's just easy to abuse something that's easily accessible. Mm-hmm. Wh- whatever it is, you know, right. alcohol, you know, um, our phones right now. Sure. I mean, anything that's easily accessible and used over and abundantly more than it should could become an idol. And yeah. so, um, for me personally, and I can't, solely blame this on my background that's not right um but as a young adult i made the wrong decisions you know i would use alcohol as a way to relax that was my big thing oh i've had such a stressful day at work i'm gonna go home and drink you know two glasses of wine well two would turn into four four would be a bottle you Mm -hmm. know and then i'd be passing out to go to sleep you know um and when i got married my husband wasn't a big drinker and I'll be honest with you, that's one thing that I think um, for a long time I held a lot of guilt over because I feel like, not that I pushed him to become a bigger drinker, but I drank a lot. And so he kind of just followed suit. Um, and I'm just thankful those chains don't bind us anymore because that was a lot of guilt to hang on to, too. Yeah. But I can tell you probably the biggest story as to what kind of broke us away from drinking so we went down to Austin, Texas and um, met family down there and we went to this brewery because that was our thing. Once we had kids, um, you know, we would drink wine at night. They were too young to really see what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And we would base our date nights off of which brewery we would go to. And in our phones, we kept track. Like, oh, we've been to this brewery. We had this beer. You know, we've had this many beers. Mm-hmm. We would do the, <laughs> the flying flights. saucer. Yeah, yes, the yeah. flights, the flying saucer plates. Like mm-hmm. that was our goal, right? right. And... Um, yeah, we went to this brewery and me and my husband drank and we said, you know, one of us has to stop drinking and you know soon enough to sober up in order to drive, right? Well, this brewery was like an hour away from the house that we were staying at. And I remember, you know, we both had stopped drinking, but it had both um 
I don't know. I guess we just weren't sobering up as fast as we thought we were, even with water and food and everything else. And I remember mm-hmm. Garrison turning to me and he's like, I can't drive. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, we got to get home. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, I can't drive. And he, here's the thing that sucks about this. And this is just being completely transparent is that not only did we put our license in danger because I was a nurse, he was, um, you know, who, you know, he was in his line of work too. Granted, he wasn't driving, but that doesn't make it any less mm-hmm. dangerous. Um, but we put our children at risk, Yeah, you know, and I have had to let God have that multiple times, sure. you know, yeah. um, cause that's guilt. That's a lot of guilt. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I remember praying on the way home and I was like, Lord, and I remember I was up on that steering wheel, just like, Lord Jesus, just get us back. Just get us back. And I promise you, like, if you will just get us back home without a ticket, without jail, I swear to you, I will give it up. And we got back. And so, again, we were in Austin. We lived in, you know, the, in Weatherford. So that's a good couple hour drive. And when we got back home, um, I remember we had a bottle of wine in our gun safe that we had saved for an anniversary. And we said, we're drinking this bottle of wine and we're never drinking again. <laughs> and um, so we drank the bottle of wine that night. And then since then, we haven't drank. And so, um, was it easy? No, <laughs> it was definitely not easy. Um, I think like the hardest part about stopping drinking when you're in your, I mean, we're 35. I was 30 at the time. I mean, yeah. it's a camaraderie thing. Yeah. You know, you feel, people feel awkward to invite you to parties then after that point because they're like, what fun are you going to have just sure. sitting there talking? Yeah. Well, what's wrong with that? You know, we would have, we would have come, you know, if things got rowdy, we could leave. Right. You know, we don't have to be around it, but you know, it doesn't mean we can't meet together. Um, I think now my mindset might be a little different, but back then that's what I thought, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily put myself in those positions anymore, especially yeah. with kids, you know? But um, I don't know. I think that was the biggest thing is you just miss the feeling that you can't relax without it. You, you, sure. you miss the feeling of, I can't be myself without this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one thing I've learned through quitting drinking is that there's just no such thing as a casual addiction. Sure. And, you know, if we can't abstain from it, um, then we are addicted to it and it becomes an idol. Yeah. If it's controlling you. Exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, that could go as far as to say, you know, even caffeine. Yeah. You know, I've caught myself in the past feeling like I have to have a cup of coffee in the morning or I can't function properly. Um, And, you know, I don't think Jesus wants us addicted to anything. No. I mean, in fact, in 2 Peter 2.19, he states, They promise freedom. But they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. And I think when I think back on that whole, you know, this whole almost five-year time frame, the promise that God gives us and we get to hold on to real tight is that we cannot be tempted beyond our ability to overcome. Yeah. And that is a verse that I have been holding on to a lot lately, and that's in 1 Corinthians 10.13. And it says, the temptation in your life is no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than what you have shared or what you can stand. Excuse me. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And that's with anything. I love that verse. Yeah. And I picture my kids in that verse because for me, at the end of that, he'll show you a way out. I can't tell you how many times I was headed to you know, the kegerator that we had in the garage. And it's still there. It's empty. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but 
<clears throat> I can't tell you how many times I'd, I'd either go to fill that or reach for a drink or pour in a drink. And like clockwork, my kids would come out of nowhere and just the typical kid question, like, Dad, watch this. Yeah. Or, da- or Dad, hey, will you play with me? And it's crazy how God uses that, right? Yeah. And if we don't see that that's Him giving us a way out, we're crazy. Oh, I know. You know? I know. And or what are you doing? Yeah, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. I'm doing something that you will do in excess if I'm not careful is what our answer should be. That's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm doing what I want to see you do is... You know, yeah. and there's a verse, my, my favorite verse, it actually leads into like, you know, a, a, a father um, cautioning a son around, away from, you know, the temptations of an adulterous woman. But the, the beginning of that verse, and I tell my son all the time, which is going to be a part of my testimony to him, but it's still, um, give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. So if you're in God's word and you're keeping his commandments, Whatever you're doing right now that's taking the place of that or it's choosing to play with your kids instead of pouring that drink like the times that I'm like, man, I'd have to stop. Or did I stop? Or did you, yeah. Did I say, hold on, let daddy get another beer and I'll, and then I'll play with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so while I can say that the drinking wasn't out of control, it's what are they seeing and what will they do? And that's everything. So don't beat yourself up over it. You yeah. know, like you got this and you're you're still your kid's favorite superhero, you know, so don't don't let what the enemy's trying to intercept as like, see, look, you can't put it down. Like, no, you can. You just gotta give it to him. And, you know, I always think of the, the verse that's a, when the disciples told the kids, no, Jesus is busy. And he says, no, let them come, let to, them me. come to me. The, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So if you got kids in the house, not only according to this verse, not only are they giving, is God giving you a way out through them? He's giving you the way out that is, belongs to, right? The kingdom of heaven belongs to these kids. Go yeah. play with them. Go do something that glorifies God through them. And, and and stop whatever, you know, and like small victory after small victory is going to lead to, hey, that's a whole day without drinking, you know, and just letting my kids wear me out. Right. You know, exactly. <laughs> so anyway. Step by step, man. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, you know, just piggybacking off that, you know, once we walk into that relationship with Christ, you know, he gives us a new way of thinking, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, in Second Peter 2.20 through 22, it says, And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth by this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit and another says a washed pig returns to the mud. And I don't want this to be a condemning scripture. I think it's just trying to show that if you know better and yet you still continue to sin, mm-hmm. like that should be convicting. Yeah. It's not condemning because through Christ, you know, we are washed and we are able to be set free from these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it should have a little bit of a condemning, con, not condemning, a um, a factor of this might need to change because it's not glorifying God. That conviction. Yeah. Yes, that mm-hmm. conviction needs to be there. And I think that's with anything. There needs to be a... a a little bit of the Holy Spirit saying, you know, Bray, I, you know, I see that you're trying, you know, and I commend you for trying. Let's keep going. Let's keep walking together. It's going to be hard. It might not be perfect. Um, and you might feel a whole lot, but you know what? Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, and that goes into what I was saying earlier about, like, it wasn't one thing I did or, you know, like, oh, this big thing, like being on deployment and having to do this this thing is what, you know, it's small compromises. You not, you know, seeking first the kingdom of God, right, and, and putting him first, that's going to compromise every aspect of your life to where, like, the big things then make you know, make you face plant or crumble, you know, and what casual conversation can turn quickly into flirting. And if you're not Mm -hmm. guarding yourself, which then turns into worse and same thing with not showing kindness to somebody showing hatred. If you've got a short fuse, I mean, you're going to find yourself in a fist fight or worse, you know what I mean? So either way, it was compromising all those things. And when, like you said, that conviction, but if there's no conviction and it's the dog returning to its own vomit, Mm -hmm. it's dangerous because you don't see what you're caught up in. And when I said sin doesn't feel like sin anymore, it's when you let those small compromises build up Mm -hmm. and then you're like trying to hold the household together. You're still trying to be in charge. You can't even discipline your kids because you're in shame. You know what I mean? And then they catch an attitude and it's like, man, I can't even, how can I hold them accountable and, you know, honor your father and mother? Okay. Right. You too, you know? Yeah. And so it is convicting, but like it, that conviction, I know it can feel like, you know, I, it's like a barbed wire boa constrictor, right? And yeah. it's just squeezing you. And when the Bible says, you know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Like, yes, the truth shall set you free, right? Like you feel that. Yeah. come off, but it's got to be real surrender. Yeah. Like, it's not this like, yeah, I know I believe. Yeah, I've sat in there. I've heard the words. You got to admit, believe, confess. Like, and it is a real surrender, you yeah. know? You and can't so, have one foot on land and one foot on oh, water. That's lukewarm, and that's yeah. what this is talking about. So, yeah, I, I like what you said about that conviction, because when, when the dust settles and you feel that boa constrictor yeah. and you're really thinking what happens when I die or, okay, if I quit, you know, um, yeah. what's going to happen to my kids? Right. You know, that's a real thing. I met a dude who his testimony um, spoke volumes to me when I needed to hear it. And I was not heeding those warnings. And it was like, God telling me to pump the brakes. I heard this guy's testimony si- similar to mine, but I mean, I can't, I'm not, it's not a, com- it's never a comparison. Right. And nor should it be. Um, but one thing that he had told me, and it was an, in relation to suicide, and I know that drinking can take people into dark places, so I'm just going to say it. Yeah. One thing that I took away from this guy giving me his testimony was incredible, um, and it's that killing yourself doesn't end your pain. It just passes it on to the people that you love most yeah. or that loved you most, right. right? And so, like, a lot of people don't like to have, you know, this opinion or they're afraid to say it. You know, it's my opinion that suicide is a very selfish thing. And it's so, it's, you know, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem, right? I know that sounds cliche, but if you just realize that, like, God's going to use, even when you boast in your weakness. Right. Mm -hmm. And you give, and you genuinely surrender, he's like, that's exactly, you know. I can use that. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like I've been waiting for you to fall. It's not like that. You know, when you can look in Scripture like I did when you're broken and, and you, you feel like you don't even have any worth to, to correct your own kids, you can look for His wrath, and I guarantee you, He's going to pour out His love. Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. Um, it, it was really cool every time to like, yep, I needed to hear that. Like, yeah, I, it's like you know 
that you're broken, right? But you just need something else. When you as a couple, husband and wife, put that first and say, okay, it's, it's you and I against the world, but I'm asking God to love my wife through me. I'm asking God to love my children through me. Because when I try it my way, it's, it's blurred, it's wrong, the fuse is too short, you know, everything else. And so, anyway, that was a big, uh, was a big takeaway for, for me, um, meeting that guy, hearing that, that, that deal. So, and I thought about it like, um, he, he mentioned a statistic too, sorry I'm bouncing around, but he mentioned a statistic about suicide. It was like 50% of all um, children whose parents commit suicide will will at least attempt. Oh, wow. I think the attempt was like a 70% in the statistic, but like yeah. will commit suicide is like 50%. And you can't help but think like you're not flipping a coin on anybody's life. Would right. you do it to your kids? Right. Would you flip that coin for them? Because that's, that's what you're looking at. Yeah. So whatever situation you're in, you know, whatever bottle you're crawling into or whatever you're, you know, you're hung up on, it's all right. Like he's already in victory in that. But don't flip that coin. Right. Don't flip that coin for your kids or for whoever loves you. And, and that was a big, like, conviction, as you said. Because if you're going to look at that and do nothing with it, it's, it's going to rock you. Yeah, it's like what Brian talks about, um, how their minds are seared. Sometimes you just don't see that conviction conviction because your mind is so seared. Mm -hmm. But in bouncing off what you're saying too, like people are going to hear this podcast and they're like, okay, you know, Sonny and Britt, I hear what you're saying about conviction. I hear what you're saying about giving up these things, but like, how can we go forward? And I just want to encourage you guys, like you are not made to suffer alone. Mm -hmm. And I want to bring up some verses just to kind of like reiterate that because I think it is so important for us to have a community and it might not be one that you have yet. And I encourage you, like, go find yourself some people who are in the church. You know, go talk to a pastor. If need be, you know, you can email us here, jesusconversationpodcast at gmail.com. Like, we will talk to you. Um, you know, you could probably email, yeah. you know, Sonny's, Sonny's um, canine business, and I guarantee he'd probably strike up a conversation yeah. with you, too. Um, but let me encourage you. I want us to go to 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. And it says, stay alert, watch out, because your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, waiting for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your, that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. So just be encouraged, guys. Like The devil will pick and choose who he wants to go after, but at some point in time, we all suffer. It is not just... You know, oh, Sonny over here gets extra suffering on Tuesday. And, oh, Brittany, she gets a little bit of suffering on Wednesday, but come Friday, it's all breaking loose on her. Like, mm -hmm. we will all suffer together. Yeah. But, you know, I think when you think back on Jesus and dying on the cross, like, he suffered the ultimate suffering. And he allowed—it wasn't something that was hush-hush. Everybody saw the suffering. Everybody who was a follower of Jesus Christ sat at the bottom of that cross and suffered with him. And I think that as, as believers, we're going to have to do that. We are going to have to suffer to be anything that remotely reflects Christ. Mm -hmm. And, you know, going back to drinking and just any habit that you or guys are, are holding above as an idol, you know, it's not just about removing these old habits. Um, it's not just about removing these old ways of thinking, but how can we replace those with truth? And, you know, in Romans 6.22, it says, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. 
So if I'm going to be a slave to anything, I don't know about you, but I want to be a slave to God, (laughs) you know? And I love that's how um, Paul always used to start his letters to the church. I, Paul, am a servant and a slave to Yeah, a bond bond servant, servant, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So... Um, so anyway, guys, how, what are some ways that we can find healing? I think that's a big thing we need to point out to during this episode. And, you know, going back to that community, um, the Bible gives us a great example and it's in James five sixteen. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And I think about yeah. Kaylee and you and you bringing that up about that praying wife. Like, yeah. how important is that? And I'll be honest, I probably don't do that as well as I probably should. And that's just being completely honest. I need to spend more time praying not only for my family, but just praying for my husband. Yeah. You know, that's one thing I can think about other people all day and be praying for them as, as it comes about, but that is something that's hard. Yeah. And and people, you know, you say prayer, right? Like I mean, in this world, people are like, oh, yeah, like you're throwing your thoughts out into the universe. No, we're we're talking about having a personal relationship, a one-on-one conversation with the creator of the universe, right? Saying, hey, you created me, you created my wife, my husband, you know them better than I could ever imagine. I need you to love them through me, right? It's, it's a real conversation. It's relationship that God wants with you. It's not just you saying like, yeah, I prayed this for my husband. No, talk to God and ask him to get a hold of whoever you need to, and he's going to work in a way. It's going to be somebody on a construction yard that you know <laughs> that you least expect. It could be somebody at a bar. Yeah. Like, I mean, there are, there are bar ministries. There are prison ministries. Like, God's working in a way that we're not giving him credit for. So, right. just when, I, when we talk about the power of a praying wife, we're not just talking about throwing out kind words into the universe. We are talking about a one-on-one relationship and personal conversation with the one who created us, asking him to give the, the daddy talk internally to whoever needs to hear. Right. So. I mean, if I had one word to like, to sum up this situation exactly, it's just having faith because until you have faith in the creator who made you and faith that he will do what he says he will do, everything else is null and void. You have got to take that step to have faith to do that. Mm-hmm. And I want to read you this little excerpt real fast, um, and then we'll start kind of wrapping up here. But this was from a psychology book. It's called Coping with Stress, and I just thought it was super interesting. It says, people who tend to keep secrets have more physical and mental complaints on average than people who do not including greater anxiety, depression, and bodily symptoms such as back pain and headaches. The initial embarrassment of confessing is frequently outweighed by the relief that comes from the verbalization of darker aspects of the self. So I think my point in this is being is like, it's important for us to confess our sins, not only to God, but to those around us. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, that's kind of hard. Not, I mean, I think I'm getting a lot better at it, but there are certain times where I feel God has given me all these directions and I'm following through and I'm doing all the things he asks me to do. And then all of a sudden, bam, he stops and turns me around and puts me in a different direction. And it almost embarrasses me because <laughs> I was like, Lord, I was following everything to a T that you asked me to do. And now you're turning the script on me and it looks like I was lying. Like, yeah. It looks like I wasn't doing what you were asking. And I had to lay that down just this week. And I was like, Lord, look, it doesn't matter how embarrassed I get. You know, those disciples, 
you know, they were crucified for you, mm-hmm. you know, hung upside down, sawed in half, you know, I mean, what does my embarrassment <laughs> mean in the scope of things, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so I just want to kind of wrap this part portion of this up and just give you guys a couple of things. So in Proverbs 28, 13, it says, people who confess their sins will not prosper. Um, excuse me, I said that wrong. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So my question to you is, are you so prideful that you can't take a moment to just sit down and ask God, look at my heart. Mm -hmm. Tell me where I've messed up. Tell me where I'm messing up. Tell me what's going to lead me or somebody else that I am in close relationship with down the wrong path. And I want us to really see that having idols in our lives, having chains that bind us in our lives can creep up so easy mm-hmm. and we can hold on to them for so long, but there is a way to break them. Yeah. And, you know, I sit back and I think to myself, when I needed alcohol, more than I needed Jesus, Mm -hmm. it became an idol to me. And if I'm honest, you know, I let it start identifying me as something other than a follower and a believer of Jesus Christ. And that's when I knew I had a problem. And so anyway, I'm going to tie this in real quick, guys, with a Bible story, because I was, you know, I try to always sit down with the Lord, obviously, before we write these write these podcasts. And I say, Lord, like, how can I teach your people? What is the story to tie all this in together? Mm -hmm. And he brought me to 1 Kings 22, and it's 1 through 23. I'm just going to give you guys a quick summary because that was a lot of of verses to get through. But in our story, King Jehoshaphat went to King Ahab, and King Ahab was the ruler of Israel at the time. And he goes to visit him. And while he was there, King Ahab asked if King Jehoshaphat would join him in battle to retrieve the land of Ramoth Gilead. And, you know, King Jehoshaphat agreed, but he said, hey, wait, let's first find out what the Lord says. So in King Ahab fashion, he summons all his prophets. It was like 400 of them. And he asked, hey, should I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should I hold back? And of course, they're all replying, yes, Lord, you will have great victory. But King Jehoshaphat pauses a second and he asks, hey, but is there not one of the prophets of the Lord here? In which King Ahab, you know, says in response, yes, there is. Uh, There is one more man. We could consult uh, the Lord for us, but I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. But they end up summoning, and I'm going to butcher this name, and I'm so sorry, uh, Micaiah, son of Imlaw. For talking purposes, I'm just going to call him M, okay? (laughs) So anyway, these 400 prophets are making, like, iron horns, and they're saying stuff, you know, as they're prophesying out loud, like, with these horns, you will gore the Arminians to death. And anyway, the messenger that goes to retrieve M tells him along the way, hey, you need to prophesy only victory for the king when he asks you about it. And, you know, M basically tells him, like, listen, I'm only going to prophesy what the Lord tells me and nothing else. So just get that straight. So anyway, they bring M in and, you know, they ask him the same question. And he sarcastically responds to them, yes, go up and be victorious for the Lord will give the king victory. Well, you know, King Ahab at that point gets pretty ticked off. I'm not going to lie to you. He's like, you know, he never, ever prophesies nothing for me. Da, 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 da. 
And um, basically, M says, I'm going to give you a bit of information that the Lord showed me. He's like, there's going to be sheep, and they're scattered on this mountainside, and they're slaughtered. He's like, I saw this vision of, you know, God in heaven asking, how can I destroy King Ahab? And it says a spirit came down and said, let me, let me do it, Lord, and I will do it by confusing all the prophets that you are going to get victory when you don't. And so even though King Jehoshaphat and King Ahab had this, you know, glorious outlook and to seeing what happened in the heavenly realm, they still decide to go and, um, and to basically wreak havoc up in here, right? And so, long or the short, uh, they do not. They do not succeed. And Ahab dies this horrible, horrible death, right? And so, why do I bring up this story? How does this have anything to do with what we're talking about? And I just want to point out today that I feel like there is a great relationship between the story of today and the world of today. So, it is so easy for us to believe what we want when we already have a pre-notion of how we want it to go. Or we want something so badly, we've already predetermined how we want it to go. No matter who gives us godly counsel, we will not hear it, right? And so, you know, the kings in the story, they did ask for guidance, which I think is right. But were their hearts really postured and ready to hear the truth? And so, you know, the kings wanted to believe all these 400 prophets who were encouraging them to go through with their already made out plan. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you hear someone say, oh, it's just one drink. It won't hurt. You know, everybody is doing it. How, how could it be so bad? So I ask, how many times in your life have you fallen into something because it was what you wanted to feel better in the moment? Or it was easier to go with the huge crowd and what they were doing. Oh, I just need to relax, you know, or, you know, you just drank that thing. You just took that hit. You just went to bed with that person who you're not married with to feel better in that moment, you know. And, you know, maybe you've tried to stop these things. Maybe you've tried to stop this cycle of feeling and it's just in your mind, it's just too hard. And so I want to encourage you guys, like, Like we said earlier, the Lord will always provide a way out and to not be tempted beyond that. Mm -hmm. So I hope you catch my drift here. So I found two things really profound in this little story. One, did you notice how mad Ahab became when he felt like M was speaking against what he had already planned? Like he'd already made up his mind he wanted to attack. So my question is, what are you being sensitive about when people talk about it? Like... Are you being offended when people ask you about something in particular? Hey, have you eaten today? Hey, uh, maybe you should slow down on those beers. You know, hey, are you safe to drive? How much caffeine are you drinking? You know, don't you think you spoke a little harsh to your son just then? Some things to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. What are you getting offended about? And second thing I found was interesting was how M responded to the messenger. You know, the messenger wanted him to go along with what everybody else was doing. And M said he didn't care what the outsiders thought. He only cared about what God thought. And I think we as believers can struggle with this in many ways. You know, M decided to set himself apart. And, you know, Deuteronomy 14.2 calls us to set apart when it states, You have been set apart as, my, as holy to the Lord your God, and he has chosen you from the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. And I honestly believe that this particular step for Christians is probably one of the hardest. You know, we want to be followers, 
and also enjoy the benefits of having the Lord on our side, you know, having that free get out of hell card, right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes time to prove how the Lord is changing your mindset, we shrink away afraid of what others' opinions are. You know, what the world deems acceptable and what God deems acceptable will never line up. And I think the sooner we realize that, the better. Romans 5.19 tells us, because one person disobeyed God, many believers uh, became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So what if you were that one person to bring many to be made righteous? And, you know, I'm even reminded that Jesus ate with tax collectors, but that doesn't necessarily mean he participated in the behaviors of those people. You know, so are you more worried about your reputation of how you are perceived or are you more focused on giving glory to God through your actions? So just to wrap this up, guys, I just want to kind of point out a couple of things um, in particular to being drunk. Um, the, the Bible never, ever says do not drink. It doesn't say that, but it does talk about drunkenness. And I think that we need to kind of point that out as well. So, you know, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's Galatians 5.19. And I think that's pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. I mean, he lists verbatim the things that he feels like are not good representations of Christ and are going to be allowed in the kingdom. Another one is Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Lastly, Romans 3, 13, and 14. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about the ways to indulge your evil desires. I love that one. I do too. Helps you train your mind. Exactly. You know, and I... I think it's pretty clear his thoughts on drunkenness. You know, he's got a pretty clear mind on what he expects from us. And, you know, as people are sitting back and probably listening to this, they're like, you know, I don't understand why he's probably so strict on that. Well, let me tell you why. There's a great example as to why this could be a problem. Mm -hmm. It's very taboo behavior, first off, but it can create breaks and family ties. If you go back in the Bible to the story of Lot, he had two daughters. And, you know, Lot ends up fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah because of the evil that's going on there. And the Lord rains down the sulfur and it completely destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, when Lot goes off and he is secluded by himself, um, his daughters think to themselves, well, we have no one to carry on our lineage. So, you know what they do is they get their dad drunk, not one night, but two nights in a row. And because there's two daughters, each night, the one daughter or the other daughter goes in and has intercourse with him in order to, quote-unquote, save their family line, right? Well, what good is it to have incest (laughs) in the Bible? You know, what what part of that was glorifying to God? I think that's just showing, again, them not putting their trust in God. They're not allowing God to do what they needed to do. Don't you believe if he saved Lot, 
he would save them into the next season. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whatever it is that you guys are struggling with, whatever your idols are, you know, alcohol, lying, deception, drugs, porn, anger, your phone, your TikTok likes, you know, whatever it is, I hope you know that the Lord doesn't want us wallowing in this. He never, ever wanted those for us to begin with. You know, he doesn't want us staying in that position, and he certainly doesn't want his children growing up with those chains that are binding them, you know? And if it's one thing I've learned this year is that the Lord cannot love me any less, no matter how much I mess up and how much shame I carry. (laughs) And I start and I start and I start again, you know? And Jesus' blood has already paid that price for me, and he's paid that price for you. And so I pray today, guys, um, if this is something you're struggling with, like seek seek that friend, seek the people you can confide in. Um, I gave you our emails earlier. Please reach out to us. Um, and I just want to say, you know, Sunny, thank you for coming in today. I know it was a, we had a great time yeah. talking about everything. Your story is amazing. And I am just, I'm so excited to be a part of it on this end of it, just to watch everything that he's doing for you and Kaylee and y'all's family. And um You know, I just pray that our stories today have encouraged for others to see that the Lord can use anyone and Mm -hmm. anything from our past and propel us forward into the future. And he can do that without those chains that bind us. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) So, Sonny, thank you for coming today. Do you you. mind doing the pleasure of praying us out? I would absolutely love to. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Lord, thank you for bringing us here today. We just thank you for what you're going to do in this podcast, Lord. Uh, Just, I mean, from everything from the modern technology to just (laughs) everything boiling down to this point, Lord, we're not uh, not happy to boast in our weaknesses, Lord, but you do something with it. So if there's someone that needs to hear this, Lord, there's a praying wife out there that needs uh, encouragement and knowing that you're already in victory for what uh, struggles and concerns that, that that spouse may have. And, you know, you could already be working uh, full-time ministry in a, in a broken father's life. Um, and and we, we don't see it, Lord, but it just takes the boldness of a few people, just one, Lord, uh, to, to share. But I thank you for the boldness of the people in my lives, for Brittany and G, that just um, opening the door to the glory of God that that was waiting to shine out, Lord. And we just thank that, uh, thank you for those that would receive this message with an open heart and uh, come to know you because of it, Lord. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a blessed week. So you might be thinking, is God real? Can He really work in my life the way He does in the stories you're hearing on this show? And the answer is simple. Yes. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart and have that relationship with Him, we want to provide that opportunity for you today to make that decision. It starts with a relationship with Him. So wherever you are, God is going to meet you and change you. It starts with the decision to invite Him in and let Him be your Lord and Savior. If that's you, I would like to ask you to repeat after me. You can do this in your heart or out loud wherever you are, God is listening. Repeat after me. Lord, I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Make me clean again. I believe your son died on the cross for me and was raised three days later. Today, I confess that Jesus is your son and I want you to be my Lord and Savior. 
Please come into my heart and make me new. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friend, if you just said this prayer, let me encourage you. The Bible tells us that you have now been made new. All your sins are forgiven, and you will join God in heaven one day. I am so excited for you. We would love to hear that you have made this decision. Please feel free to shoot us an email so we can get you a Bible and help you get connected. This is the greatest decision of your life, and I am so happy for you. we're out of time for today, but we would like to say a special thank you to our listeners for joining us. And please be sure to check us out on our social media pages at Jesus Conversation Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And a special thank you to the generosity of Boiler Room Studios, located here in Alito, Texas, just outside of Fort Worth, for allowing us to record in their new state-of-the-art studio. Please check them out on Facebook at Boiler Room Studios for all your recording needs. Until next time, we are praying for you and asking God's blessing be upon you. Have a great week.